0: Hi, I'm Lisa Kennedy and you're listening to The Bra and the Brave. This podcast celebrates the creative and the courageous. I am fascinated by those who are talented, forward-thinking and inquisitive. Sharing their stories, wisdom and everything in between, The Bra and the Brave is about people and their passions. So on to today's episode. Does it say record in your end? It does, yep. Lovely. Well, what a lovely wee... To start a Friday with someone that I've been desperate to speak to for so long because everything that you're doing is just amazing. I will say that I am speaking to the founder and director of Refugee, Selena Hales. Hello, Selena.
1: Hello. It's so lovely to speak with you. And thank you. For your, I, your
0: time, time is such a premium and so important. Like I'm mm-hmm. I'm genuinely like so glad that we've been able to do this. Thank you so much.
1: Not at all. We've um the dust is just starting to settle after our fourth office move of twenty twenty. <laughs> wow! Yeah, we sort of mimic the transient nature of of the people that we work with. Um, we've dotted about this city, and um, so much so, but we're we're now in a space that is. Yeah, as I say, the dust is settling and we're starting to to find just pockets of time um, because we're in a much larger space. We can bring more volunteers in safely. So, yeah, time is, I, w- I want to say freeing up, but it's not. There's just There's just little pockets.
0: Yeah, I bet you didn't say that because you're like the minute I say that, <laughs> there's just going to be like something else that lands on my desk. You're like, right, okay.
1: There's a million things on my desk that I should be doing. <laughs> I'm also an excellent procrastinator, so the desk is already full. But I'll find a pocket of time for something I want to do more.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, you were just telling me before we came onto the record that you um, you've had four hours sleep, and I was just like admiring how beautiful you look today. So I'm just boss-, boss in life, boss in life for sure.
1: Lipstick can fix a lot of things, <laughs> just don't tell anybody I've put it over the bags in my eyes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that should be your tagline, although I am very impressed and I totally love your tagline from Refugee, which is we're off somewhere, yeah, and we absolutely are. And for anybody that has been living under a rock and doesn't know about Refugee, like you, listen up. Let, let's get into all the beautiful detail of what you do. So, I guess I do ask this of some of the podcast guests, and I feel like it's a bit of a cop out question, but it's just a nice way to get us started. If you were to do like your best elevator pitch, you know, if we're on the top floor and we're, we're, we're in that lift and you've got enough time to get to the ground floor, how would you best describe Refugee?
1: Refugee is about providing the existing community with a way to welcome those most recently arrived. It's about doing that when you've not got anything. You don't have to have money. You don't have to have time. You don't have to have donations. It's about how you pass on kindness in the simplest way. Are we at the bottom floor yet? (laughs) We can go to the,
0: we could go to the basement if you've got any oh, more nuggets yeah. that you want to squeeze in there.
1: <laughs> so what we originally set out to welcome people. the The focus for refugee at the very beginning was very much about how do we make people feel welcome in the city. But really swiftly it became clear that actually the only way we could do that was to empower, to encompass, to to get the existing community, to give them the tools. To be able to extend that welcome because it already exists, it's already there. Yeah, Glasgow's known as, as, as sort of Europe's friendliest city. We won that rough guides um sort of accolade, I think a couple of years in a row. But actually, what became clear is that it's not just about us being a welcoming city, it's about us being proud of that welcome. And we've always said that we had the people who wanted to welcome displaced people. And then we had the audience that wanted to maintain that reputation as being friendly and kind and open. And boy, has has Refugee given people the opportunity to, to do that. It's amazing to actually watch every single day that desire and that passion to make this space beautiful for everybody just pour out of the city.
0: Wow. And that's what you were saying prior to recording as well, like, you are blessed with that every day, that positivity, mm-hmm. that want to help others, that kindness. But in saying that, your job is really varied, and there must be so many hurdles and difficulties and things that you are witness to that aren't positive, and, you know, and I wonder... Wh- what was the kind of inspiration? What led you to actually establish an FUG?
1: Yeah, so 2015, I had a few friends who volunteered in Cali and in Greece in a couple of camps. Um, and like everybody, I was watching the news and just completely overwhelmed and and exhausted by these images, it, it, literally, of people carrying their life on their back and walking away from everything that they knew and and that was when the media were really really on it, it was right in the midst of the syrian crisis and when it was still prevalent and i was watching this this, this unfold and my kids were really young at the time so the kids are three and one um at that point and i'd recognized and, and being really honest with myself, that I'm not the type of person that could do frontline volunteering. And I think it's really important, and, and I use this example a lot now within Refugee with our volunteers, it's really important to know our limits. I am an emotional wreck. <laughs> I love a good cry. I also can't control when I'm going to cry. So if you put me frontline in a camp environment I used to think that I would just be a sort of rocking mess in a corner within minutes of arriving. Now I recognise that it's not that I would be a rocking mess. I'd be arrested within minutes. I cannot deal with the injustice that is served to people within that environment every single day. It disgusts me and it horrifies me and I wouldn't be able to keep my mouth shut. Problem yeah. I have a lot of the time. Um <laughs> I don't I wouldn't be able to keep quiet and that's not necessarily helpful. Yes, we need loud people and we need spokespeople and we need but it's not helping the individual in that camp who is being experiencing pre- police brutality or who is being told that they don't have access to the support that is available to everybody else. It's I wouldn't be helping by going in and stirring shit up like you have to be so much more you have to be a certain type so I knew that that wasn't for me but then that I'd stopped watching the news and I'm, I'm very honest about that as well that I think we at that point although we talk about it being positive that in 2015 there was a lot in the news about displacement and about the Syrian crisis and about um the reception that people were receiving in, in in various countries across Europe, the way that that was being portrayed, actually made you want to switch off more than it inspired you to take action because it was just overwhelming. It was too much. Um, so I talk about that feeling of being sort of stunned into inaction.
0: And yeah, it's like, what can I do? That just the problem seems too massive. You know, it? like, it's yeah. like you know, just sit back, like, oh, I can't deal with that. That's that's far too much. But but you didn't you know you might have switched the tv off but then you did take action and you did play into your strengths you obviously recognised that yeah i'm not gonna i'm not gonna go to the camps I'm, I'm not that person i'm not that guy but what i can do is i can be positive and i can encourage kindness and i can start something like a movement because you would have known yourself like that glasgow is a friendly city yeah. so why not use that strength to to welcome people that are are displaced
1: Yeah, and I think I was really lucky at the time that I had a good, still do, that sounds like past tense. I was surrounded by amazing people and I sort of had this real trust in this city. You know, I moved here to study when I was 17 and I never expected it to become home. And now I'm raising my family here and I couldn't imagine living anywhere else. It's my city and that's not just because of the people. It's I don't know, there's just something... There's something magic about Glasgow. And I knew, I trusted that I wouldn't be the only person feeling like that. But I didn't really have a plan for Refugee to be what it is. It was never a, I know what I'll do. I'll start a charity and we'll provide welcome packs. It was much, much more. Wouldn't it be really cool if we could get the existing community to put together a wee gesture of kindness? I'll get some friends involved and I'll see what happens. And at the time, I worked at the Chamber of Commerce. I worked at Glasgow Chamber of Commerce. So I got to see the strength in the business community, not just in terms of economic strength, but in terms of the desire to make the space that we all share a nice space. Yes, there's a lot of capitalists out there that want to make a buck or two, but a lot of them really, really care about the space that, that... that that exists, that their business exists within. And could I tap into that? Do people make Glasgow if you're not from Glasgow? That was my biggest question in sort of, my office used to look out at the City of Glasgow College building. And um, that realisation of, is that quite an insular statement? Or is that something that people who've just arrived here really feel? Yeah. And at the time, I had no connections with any... I had no experience of the of refu- working with refugees, of working with asylum seekers. I didn't know the difference. I didn't know any of the terminology. But I felt like I knew that Glasgow would want to welcome people if there were people here. <laughs> Little did I know, I was biting off a rather large <laughs> um, And... Social media did what social media does best. Do you know, I got, I started to ask people. I started to ask, so I asked a designer pal. I, I'd sort of drawn out the logo and I'd had the idea of the word. I, and I'd bounced it off a few people very tentatively. It's horrible bringing an idea to somebody. I was terrified that someone was going to be like, that's so bloody stupid. <laughs> every day. That's me
0: every day. <laughs> no, 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 no. Just tell somebody what happens when you actually tell people and it's
1: nuts right yeah so i took it to a wonderful friend and and someone who had worked with before george Mackay, uh, a designer he actually did the glasgow smiles better campaign that was his ah. glasgow smiles better um was him and i took it to george because i'd done a piece of work with him in the past and said look this is what i'm thinking be honest with me like you can you can be honest and he I can remember that just that feeling of validation of him sort of going, you're on to something. You're on to something. Let's go. And he came up with, he he sort of then sent me a PDF of my scribbles and this little square logo with a dictionary definition. And, and I was like just black and white, really simple. And there were a lot of moments, and there still are today, a lot of moments where it's just been a case of, what have we got to lose? Let's stick onto it let's just go with it and another good friend at the time said you will never ever actually be ready you will never be ready stop thinking that you're ever going to be ready the this she said that the phrase ready steady go should be reworded into ready go and then you steady yourself and then you go again and then you steady again It makes so so much sense. And it works the same for ready, aim, fire. No, ready, fire, then aim. And again, fire again and aim again. Although we tend not to use the gun sort of, yeah. Got
0: you, of course. You're right, though. It's just starting. Like, I literally wrote a blog post for this other week there. You know, just start sounds really simple, and that should be the most simplest thing to do. But sometimes it seems like the biggest thing, But when you do start, when you do go to your friend and say, what do you think of this? Could you mock up a logo? And they come back going, this is a great idea. Like you're onto something, then you've started. And then just things start to happen.
1: And then asking becomes less scary. So then I asked the next person and I went to Glasgow City Marketing Bureau and I said, if people really make Glasgow, could we use your bright pink tote bags as the actual, they were the original welcome pack bags. Will you donate them so that we can fill them with kindness and pass them on to people who've arrived? And they said, of course we will, and sent us hundreds of them. So they were the first person to give me something physical, and I was like, oh, I'm going to do this more. Once you start asking, and people are given a real tangible way that they can make a difference to somebody else, The whole city just opened up. It was the most phenomenal thing to snowball and and, and to watch, well, to live. Like, there was a (laughs) – I had planned that year, when the kids were one and three, that was going to be the year that I took a full two weeks off at Christmas. (laughs) Right. And I launched Refugee on Facebook and Twitter on the 8th of December (laughs) – and then spent the entire... I was like, oh, they're young. They don't need... well. it's fine. They don't need Santa. Meh, they won't remember. They'll not remember. It's fine. It's fine. It's not a problem. <laughs> and I spent Christmas building these welcome packs, collecting letters, like shoving stuff... I was still working full time. Shoving stuff under my desk during my lunch break at work and then going in the evenings to this, this office, bringing the kids along and sitting them down with sort of toys to play with and asking pals to come in and help. And we got got 60 welcome packs out just before Christmas. Now, I didn't approach anybody to distribute those welcome packs. People that worked with the refugee community saw Refugee on Twitter, saw what we were doing, and sent me a message and were like, we work with people every day. Can we have some welcome packs, please? And that is how all of our connections have been made. We've not needed to to go and sort of pitch the welcome packs to organisations. They've come to us. They've been like, this would make our job in supporting people so much nicer if we could pass on that gesture of kindness. Now there's nothing there's nothing mind blowing in a welcome pack. There's some toiletries, there's hat, scarf and gloves, umbrellas if we've got them. There's something to read, usually graphical literature to help with language learning. Um, stationary, because when we first went to the airport to meet people, which, again, so privileged to be able to do that a wee bit further on in Refugee's journey, Mm. we met people, they were spoken to in a hotel space through an interpreter. Nobody had given anybody any pen and paper to write anything down. They're being spoken to by the most Glaswegian, wonderful person who you couldn't have a better person heading up the, the refugee support team at Glasgow City Council, but he's broad, Glasgow, broad. Got yeah. <laughs> and yeah. the interpreter's doing a great job of inter- but I find it difficult to understand, and the idea of not being able to take notes in your mother tongue, to just have not been given those simple tools is is nuts. So there's always notepad and pen, and then the welcome letter. That that
0: just got me. The, the first time I saw that on your social media, I was just like, yes, yeah, because you can. I cannot fathom what these people are going through and just that moment of like, you know what it's like when you go somewhere and you you, you get given a welcome pack, I'm talking about an event or if you turn up yeah, a hotel, you're like, you know, it's lovely, you're like, oh that's so nice, like I feel so welcome, you cannot fathom what that welcome pack must mean and obviously just in that moment to be able to read a letter, be given a letter of hope, of kindness when you are in a a completely new country, you don't speak the language, like I can't even fathom. I think it that's just such a beautiful, beautiful touch that you've added into that welcome pack. All the practical things aside, that just must mean so much as well.
1: It is. It's the heart and soul of the pack, is that letter. That the other stuff is lovely, they're they're nice to have. It well, the hat, scarf, and gloves are definitely a need to have any time of year. But the the letter is it's the kindness. The letter is what captures the kindness of the city. And the welcome packs are generally distributed when people are with a support worker. So through Migrant Health, through Refugee Council, through Red Cross. So there's always an interpreter or somebody on hand to to talk to them about what that letter is and to translate it. And the stories from those support workers and those people are just completely mind-blowing it's at the begin in the beginning we didn't get to see or hear about any of that you know there's this sort of blind words that these are getting to the people that you want them to get to um, but slowly over time and as we grew our volunteer network as well we would start to hear stories from people receiving the letters just recently one of our volunteers showed us a video he'd been staying in one of the hotels and he's been trying to capture to, as much um, of that experience as he can in making videos and one of the videos he's got is somebody receiving their welcome pack oh and it comprises it that we've never seen we've not and he, he of course. takes everything out of this bag he's talking about each thing and it's The strangest feeling, and the first time we saw someone read their letter, Hannah and I had to close the laptop and just sob for a little bit. We were both just completely and utterly blown away that you hope it has the impact that you would imagine it would have, but we can't know that. Of course. We've got no idea what it feels like to arrive in an alien land, not being able to speak the language, having already experienced... Huge amounts of trauma to then have to experience the trauma of our asylum system. You think you can connect with that, but you can't really. We, yeah, and we probably never will.
0: It's such a mammoth task. Like, you know, when you're saying, like, you know, I, I wasn't completely clued up. I didn't know all the terminology. I didn't know where to to begin. I didn't know how to to who to reach out to. We're given these packs, out in blind faith that they're going to get to people Uh, but when things really started to kind of almost snowball and Mm -hmm. then you're seeing the impact i'm really impressed that you know because at that moment you could have been like well this is alien to me and oh my goodness this seems too big but but you you continued but i guess that is just like when those moments when you see someone reading the letter or you get a bit of feedback or you hear a story you're like well i can't stop now like we've, we've started and this is important this is making a difference
1: yeah, it's. I have never ever been happier. Whilst at the same time, never been so overwhelmed by how vast something is. And I remember the point where I quit my I quit my full time job, sort of three, four months in, um, and I remember going home and. and My friend and mentor at the time, who was the person who was saying ready, go steady, she was like, quit your job, quit your job, quit your job. (laughs) And I remember going home to my husband and being like, I've decided I am quitting my job because the only way I'm going to know if we can make this work is if I run at it full full force. I can't do a full-time job and juggle this and manage the kids and everything. Like, it's, it's too much. And I really want to give it a shot, and oh, like, see if Ross came home and did that to me. I think I, I, I don't. Well, I definitely would not be the supportive partner that he is. <laughs> like, a huge part of Refugee is the result of this amazing network of people lifting me back up. Sometimes literally propping me up, of course, because it's. Of course, it's overwhelming at times, but the the positive and the good and the the amazing sort of view that we have of this city far far outweighs the the tired pockets or the bits where you're just like I, I can't fix that. Again, with it, it, it's that we get to see, we get to exist in a sort of really positive space when people are really critical of social media or oh, there's so many problems with it. It's such a it's It's so problematic and there's so much hate there. And Again, we exist in a really positive space on social media. And I am on record saying it multiple times. I do not think there is anything that we can't get by asking for it on Twitter. (laughs) We are so, so lucky to just have this platform and space to say, last week, for example, a mum of two really serious chronic pain and mobility issues on a waiting list her support worker at a partner organization phoned us really concerned about her health and well-being and Mm -hmm. the caring aspect of their situation for both of her children and all she needs is like a stool or a walking frame within 24 hours we'd had one delivered to her door by saying on Twitter, someone will have one of these in a couple somewhere, pass it on. That sort of stuff's amazing. You just, you, the more that those things happen, the more trust and belief that you have that it's all going to be okay. It's it, it drives my board of trustees absolutely insane because I refuse to do budget projections and business plans and all of that stuff because I'm like, you just have to have faith. You just have to believe. Good thing that's back in a chat. That's what I'm all about. I love that. I love but that. Five years on, Refugee is now delivering 150 food packs a week, welcome packs, and clothing bundles, mobile phones, prams, Zimmer frames, push chairs, laptops. We've just started a desktop distribution. It's built on faith. It's not built on anything else. There was no funding at the beginning. We had an empty, in fact, I had a no money policy because I was so scared of money. I was like, don't buy us money. Give us toothpaste. Don't give us money. I just want, I need toothpaste or I need bags or I need this. Now it's grown into something huge and not because of following some business plan route. It's grown into what it is because of the belief of the people within it in this city.
0: It's incredible. It really is. But I'm just reminded time and time again, when I hear stories like this, and that's the joy of this podcast, is that I have the absolute pleasure of sitting, chatting to you and just hearing all this amazingness. And it, it restores your faith in humanity. And I'm sure that's just how you feel every single day. But people are great. They will go the extra mile for other people. Do you know what I mean? They will. But it takes somebody like you that just asks the question. Quite often... It's just asking, does anybody have this thing? Absolutely.
1: It's There's nothing complicated about what we do. And I think people always look at, they're always looking for some sort of secret to, but how did you do that? Like, nothing. Just asked. Lots and lots of people, very boldly. And I suppose that's the gallus Scottish nature probably helps in that respect. That I am not afraid to turn around. And, and I very publicly say, I don't know what the hell we're doing. Someone who understands this, come and come and give us a hand, come and help. So when things fail, which they do, of course they do. When things fail, we talk about it. We tell people, we say, do you know what? That was a really, really piss poor decision and we shouldn't have done it that way. Next time, let's do this and we move on.
0: You can't possibly learn if you don't fail, if you don't go over those hurdles and putting your hands up. And you, you've you been extremely honest, even in the course of this podcast already, just to say, like, I didn't know anything. I, you know, I, I was going into it almost like blindly, you know, and it is about just hands up and going, we're, we're figuring this out. Because the lay of the land will continually change and evolve and, and what is required, whether it's welcome packs or whether it's more food, that will change on a, goodness, on a weekly basis, I would imagine, for the organisation as well. So you're just responding
1: yeah, in the moment. We talk about all the time is that we are an incredibly reactive organisation and we're really lucky because we didn't start with a pot of money or very quickly attach ourselves to a funding stream we've always been able to be really reactive. So if people need mobile phones, we've got unrestricted funds because we've done it through community fundraising or whatever to be able to do that. Had we at the beginning set out to do a very specific in this box thing, we'd have been limited. We wouldn't have been able to build what we've what we've been able to build. Um, now, that's not saying at all that we don't need funding now. Of course we do for the delivery of projects, but we are much firmer in who we are, how we do it, why we do it the way we do, and in finding funders that either like that or we we don't work with them. And maybe that's really arrogant, but I don't care if it is. Um, I think funding as them working for us, not the other way around. So I'm not... like when I'm applying for something or when we're looking at a specific project and looking at getting that funded, I am as much interviewing them as they are interviewing us. For example, one funder at one point asked us to categorise all of the volunteers that we were bringing on, so to tell them which of which of these um, categories do they fit into. And there were categories like low income, disability, mental health support, um All of these, black minority ethnic, all of these different groups. And I went back to the funder and said, no way, not happening. I'm not interested. Firstly, through asking these questions, we are further segregating people. And we're going to isolate people. The reason that people come to us is because we don't ask any questions. I don't care where people are from. Other than to find an interpreter, obviously, like I'm not that rude, but I don't need to know your life story. I'm certainly not going to ask you to revisit your trauma. I don't want you to have to tell me whether you're on benefits or whether you're working or whether you I I don't need to know any of that stuff. And if I do start asking that, people are going to start thinking of me as some sort of home office tracker and it's another box ticking exercise. Forms and questions and interviews do not sit comfortably with people who are seeking asylum in this country because it is a horrific and damaging process. So why would we become that? Fortunately, that funder turned around and said, you've given really strong reasons as to why you can't ask those questions. We're happy to progress. Had they if not, you, had they said it's essential, we'd have said "cheerio, no thanks, we can't do it." it there has to be a real firm standing. You, you know the ethos
0: of the organisation, and you're not gonna sidestep that in order to, to get that support because you know you'll get that support elsewhere from from people who get get what refugee are trying to do. Exactly. Um, and you, you would have educated them in that moment by saying, "Listen, this, I'm not, I'm not going to go there." Yeah, you know, and hopefully that'll have further educated them for future. That's not useful, and particularly for refugee mm. to to collect that information. That we don't need that.
1: We don't need it. And I think that is it's that having that sort of trust that if you if we kick back on that, maybe it kicks back to somebody else and to somebody else. And it happened at the beginning of our lockdown project at the very beginning. So sort of March time when we were going into lockdown and stockpiling was a real issue. We had a couple of organisations get in touch with us and say, I'm really concerned about a couple of clients that we have, people we work with who are incredibly vulnerable and who won't be able to get to the shops. And if they do get to the shops, and then the shelves are bare. They don't have the funds to go somewhere else. They don't have the capacity. It might be mobility. It could be um, funds, all of these different things but there are going to be people massively struggling and we realized at that point we're going to have to do something really quick and really responsive uh, to that situation around food and the reason that we were placed to, we, that we were well placed to do that is because of that partner network but also because we've got the capacity to react quickly and the system and the structure is there for us to be able to and the belief and the faith that other people in the city will support whatever it is we decide to deliver, not quite sure we expected it to become what it did again, it's another of those let's let's do shopping for a few folk and then I think I came into I think I came in the next week and said to Hannah, I was thinking it'd be really good if we had a text service that people can just message us if they need food, so I've launched that, and the following day we. We came in to 150 requests. <laughs> wow for food toiletries, entertainment. The next day, there's another 100. The next day, there was another 100. So in the first Gosh. few weeks, we were doing around eight we could three of us could churn out 80 food packs a day. But that was just it was another huge jump into unknown territory and into this massive project. But that I, I suppose that's what we've got really good at is that. Oh, let's turn I, into another unknown.
0: <laughs> I mean, a, a day. That I ask. I'm going to ask you a question. I'm like, why are you even asking this, Lisa? But it'll give us some sort of insight. A day in the life of Selena at refugee. I mean, there must. Like, I'm like, just tell me about yesterday because I know the day before that would have been com- com- completely different. But I, I guess maybe even at the moment, like, what is your main focus or what does a, a day look like?
1: So the food packs and the toiletry packs are still the are, are still pretty um they're top of the list. So we consider food and technology poverty absolute critical. So the, the first thing that we check is what labels do we need to print? Who's needing food? Who's needing um mobile phones? Do we have them? how are we getting them out to people? Um, We've then got this amazing network of volunteer drivers and cyclists and some people on foot and and various people helping out to get those packs and those deliveries out to people. So the next thing is updating them with, today we've got 60 packs to go out, give us a buzz when you're downstairs and we'll bring them down to you. Sorting out the volunteers so that they know what's going in each pack and getting them them organised. It would be really funny to ask my team this question as well, because I reckon they'd say she sits in her office all day making phone calls. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But at the moment, because we've moved into this new office, we've got more capacity to bring volunteers in. So the shift now, it used to be that Hannah, me and Claire would all be on the production line building the packs. So that was up until about six weeks ago. We were the production line because we couldn't. We didn't have a big enough space to safely bring in anybody else. Now we've got space to bring in volunteers and a huge volunteer network. Um, but we're still in the process of setting up the office as well. So, so where are you now? Where are you based now? We're now down on Cadogan Street in the city centre. Um, so we're. It used to be a call centre. Um, you can tell that if I show you the ceiling. Um. <laughs>
0: Although
1: although I'm very much enjoying your background, though. It's lovely, right? So we've got this amazing um, Lila, one of our volunteers, is an interior designer and decorator. And she's done our last three spaces she has done for us. And she is just the most incredibly talented um, person. Go and check her out on Instagram. She's called Lila Talmar Interiors. And she's just phenomenal. She's turned it into... So, yeah, you can see loads of pictures of it on our Instagram. That's not
0: your average call
1: centre. No, no. So, yeah, shifted. And and we've realised that that's really important that when you're grafting, when and when you're expecting people to come into a space and to give their time, and you want that to be a lovely space. And whilst at the beginning we've worked in absolute shitholes, we've worked in some of the most like. Awful spaces that haven't had working toilets and that like just awful. And during that time we've been like, we're too busy, we're too busy. Um now we're a bit more conscious of actually we work far better if we are in a space that inspires us, and more? we shouldn't downplay the power of working in a beautiful space. Absolutely. We deserve that, our volunteers deserve that. And, and so it's lovely to be able to create that um, in here so quickly. But the, the day is sort of broken up and peppered amongst people dropping in with donations, um, the volunteers taking packs down to the, to the drivers outside, meetings about other new projects. We've got so many projects happening at the moment. We've got a photography project that... We give people cameras when they've just arrived and ask them to share what Glasgow looks like through their eyes, um, which we'll hopefully have an exhibition of quite soon. Um, That's called Claiming Back the Narrative. We've got students working with us at the moment to do an analysis of the the letters. So we catalogue. Every letter we receive is photographed and, and catalogued and then the original goes out in a welcome pack it's catalogued and then a student at the moment is working on analysing the content of each of those letters so that we can look at how the content changes over geographical area, over age, does it differ and and what did it look like in 2015, what was this city's perception of refugees then and what is it now and how can we build that into a schools toolkit we're currently working on a project with a group of teachers and a group of students to look at what they were taught about refugees in school and what they should have been taught about the refugee experience and how can we educate people better there's just tons there's so much going on
0: as i can imagine your work a lot of the time and the frustration that you must be up against all the time is that that kind of myth busting and like educating people you know, as much as like it is mostly a positive space, and you're getting you know the support for all your volunteers and your team. There must still be moments where you're like, you don't know. Sit down with me for five minutes, and I will tell you exactly what these people are facing, and who they are, and why yeah. they deserve everything that you've got.
1: I've got a very like my tendency is to talk about the amazing side of refugee. My my focus is on. Only through talking about the positive will we continue that wave of positivity. So my focus is always on, look at these gorgeous letters, look at these amazing volunteers, look at what this city has achieved. There is a dark side. There is an incredibly dark side. And that comes out. And what I have always tried to do and what I stand by is that we never ever, Ever shut somebody down for saying something that we disagree with? That we always try to educate and we always try to challenge it in a friendly way. Sometimes there's people that are just abusive and that's just a simple block. Yeah, Um, of course. But most of the time, in fact, every single time, whether it's abusive or not, it comes from a place of ignorance. So it's a lack of understanding, it's people just not knowing what the asylum experiences and the difference between somebody who's come here through choice and somebody who's been forced to come here and um, all of those different the the different sort of ways of describing people who now find themselves living in this in this city
0: yeah and you'll just appeal kind of into like people's good nature in the sense that you know you're like fine, that that's what you think Here, here's, hmm. I'm going to tell you the real story and I'm going to educate you because I'm assuming that you're going to be open minded enough for
1: your opinion yeah. to be changed Yeah, and that's there's lovely examples of that working and there's lovely examples of that working with one word responses, so years ago we'd put the buggy campaign onto Facebook and said <laughs> much to Hannah's, Hannah manages the buggy campaign and <laughs> I put it on Facebook, and within a week, we had over 130 buggies <laughs> and push chairs. I'm um, like, we these over and distributed and dropped off in various places. Wow! Um, but when we put it up on Facebook, somebody had gone on and commented, "You shouldn't be having a baby if you can't afford a pram or a pushchair. Um, What's wrong with people?" And and just this little like ramble. And normally, I would. Like normally, I would use the refugee account, and I would go on and I would explain. And for this, I was like, Do "You know, what? I'm I'm just fed up." I think it was probably like the fifteenth or sixteenth comment that day that was just someone being ignorant. So, from my personal account, I just replied to that comment with one word: "rape." And when it hits you. It hurts and it's painful and you might then just delete your comment and bugger off. But this person came back on and said, I am so sorry. Didn't think before I got angry. That was really silly of me. Thank you. I will remember that forever. You only need one. You only need to change one person's mind and you're winning. Like it's it it's that feeling of it doesn't need to be complicated you just need to get somebody to think slightly outside the box um, there are some times where that that happens more quickly and there are times where people just point blank refuse to, to think differently about a situation but the the biggest thing is the, is the idea of charity begins at home. The biggest thing that we counter all the time is charity begins at home. And we should be helping our own first with this complete disregard of the fact that people arriving here are now our own. Just, um, that's why I'm not. like, this is the yeah, home. This is now home. And they didn't choose it. So yeah. it's actually... It's not there They walk a mile in
0: somebody else's shoes. Jeez
1: yeah. oh, man. Um, and the idea that people are just given everything when they come here. And we did a series of videos um, just, I think during lockdown, I can't remember, t- time is all merged. But we did a wee series of videos about asylum support benefit and about the housing system and about hotel detention. And the response to those was unbelievable because there are things that we see day to day that just become... Normalized to us, it doesn't make them any anyway horrific, but they are. We we know those systems, we understand them. It wasn't until I shared this series of videos that I was like, "Shit, we need to make people more aware of this. We need people to understand that when you come here, yes, you are given a safe place to live. That is a very loose safe. So, it used to be that you would be given usually flat." a flat accommodation, usually in a very, very poor area of the city because it's where the housing is cheapest. A lot of the time in a space that is not well maintained, the housing um, guidance is forever changing. So they've last year they took hoover off the essentials list of what people need in their house. So families with children in carpeted houses are, are no longer given a hoover everything is basic and then you are given 5 pounds 75 a day to live on that's to cover your travel your toiletries your clothes your food your mobile your your 5 pounds 75 if you're pregnant you get a wee bonus so that you can eat healthy you get an extra 2 pounds it is disgraceful the lack of support that is given to somebody who has come here to seek safety—it's disgusting. However, what shifted, and what was put under hotels have been used for a long time. But what was what shifted during lockdown and what became really prevalent was they used coronavirus as an excuse to shift a huge number of people—over 300 people in Glasgow—into hotel accommodation. Now, the ignorant think well, that'd be lovely being in a hotel and you've got your wee TV and everything you need it's not the Malmaison the TVs are often removed (laughs) there's no telephones you're locked in you're you're sort of told that you have to stay in your room for your own safety and the best bit, because your meals are apparently provided your £5.75 a day is removed you don't get any money at all, none so people think that folk arrive here and they just get given benefits it's not benefits it's 37 pounds a week it's nowhere close to universal credit and if you get put in a hotel that's taken away from you as well any freedom to purchase your own stuff if you need period product you have to go to the front desk and ask for them if you want to have your meal at a specific time you need to go and request it and it'll probably be denied The number of requests that we get for food from people in hotels are insane at the moment, but the only cooking facilities that people have are a kettle. So we can't provide nutritious, decent meals for people with a kettle. We can provide biscuits and pot noodles and snacks and juice and crap alongside the meals from the hotel, which we've been sent pictures of, which are utterly shameful like a plate of potatoes and a slice of cheese was one of the meals the hostile environment is real it is massively shifting again and again and again just a couple of weeks ago there was a family of six had been put into one hotel room and told they just arrived their their welcome to glasgow was being put in the hotel room They're supposed to have access to a phone on arrival because they should be able to contact Scottish Refugee Council, their lawyer. The phone in the room was broken, so they couldn't do that. We were asked to deliver a mobile phone to the family, which we said we can do within a matter of hours. We can do it that day and we'll also send welcome packs so at least the children have something to play with and entertainment. The hotel refused to pass on all of those items. Because hospitality staff have been turned into detention officers, and I can actually understand that person's stance in terms of we're in the middle of a pandemic, and I'm going to lose my job, and I can't afford to lose my job right now, so I have to do as I'm told. But then there's humanity, and you just there's your compassion. Yeah, it's mind blowing. The yeah the stop gaps that we've seen, but again, through the power of social media, we can make change happen. The response to us sharing this story means that so many more people are aware, so many more people are donating, are getting in touch to volunteer their time, are massively making a difference and preventing that from happening to other people. Yesterday, Scottish Government got in touch with us to ask about that specific situation and to look at how they prevent that from ever happening again. I don't think it will be a fast thing.
0: But that—that's the power, like you're saying, of social media, and that you're putting that, those stories out there, and you being reactive and responsive, and educating people, and that's why we need refugee. <laughs> more than more than ever do you know what i mean like and i guess for you it will change on a monthly or even a weekly basis in terms of the support that you do need you'll be inundated with offers of such and such but actually this week we actually need this and that is the power of social media i guess because you can say hold the bus guys great we've got enough of that but actually is there anybody that could you know drive you know, and take packs out or actually yeah. we need more food or and that yeah. is, it's is—it's—it's like in the moment where you can just be putting
1: out a call for X, Y, and Z. And that can be really difficult because when people want to help, it it's it really hard to then say, ah, oh, I'm really sorry, but that's not the help we need right now. And um, We have to be really specific and, and that can be really difficult. But I think we've got better at communicating that over time and stuff. The lockdown clear-outs nearly overwhelmed us. Like... <laughs> When every other shop was shut, all the charity shops are shut, everyone else is is um, doing their massive clear outs and they're desperate to pass stuff on. And it comes from a place of kindness. It comes from people going, I've got new crockery, but my old stuff's still great it'll do someone a turn and you're like, that'd be brilliant, but we've got no way of getting that crockery to somebody at the moment and they've got no food to put on it. So let us concentrate on the food and we'll get to the crockery eventually. But that's really, really difficult. It can be really, you almost feel guilty for turning people away. But at the same time, we don't have the capacity to do absolutely everything we'd like to do. And you should honestly... I'll try and share some more pictures of our, our back room. In the new space, we've been able to set up a shop that one day when we're allowed to have people back in the space again safely, it's supposed to be about people being able to come and choose the clothing that they need with dignity and with the space to do that. There's nothing worse than sort of getting a request and it's like 32-year-old man needs clothes. And you're like, well, does he like pinstripe suits or does he like tracksuits? suits? Like, where, where do we go here? Um, Tracksuits are a pretty safe bit at the moment because nobody's going anywhere, so we, we tend well, to do it. fancied up. A lot of <laughs> um But we want people to have the dignity to choose their own stuff, so we've set up this sort of shop space, but that meant a massive... Um, It meant going through all of the donations that we've already got. Like, I think we could fill TK Maxx seven times over with the volume of stuff that we've got. And we're turning away offers of clothing and household stuff every single day. So we do have a really up-to-date list. Um, We do every single morning the team go through the list of donations that we can accept that are on our website. So. Check that um, before getting in touch with us because most stuff is covered on there. Um, The big shortages at the moment are non perishable food and toiletries. That is what we continually need donations of. So, running donation drives in your close, sticking a, a sort of cardboard box out and saying, We'll be dropping this off in a week is brilliant for us and um, to drop stuff off to us people need an appointment at the moment so that we've got a record of who's in the space and so that we limit numbers so that's all on the website though um but there are still- obviously I'll put all the details in the show notes so
0: there yeah. obviously there's no point in asking you like what do you need right now but if there are those things that you know, just constantly need replenished, yeah. then when anybody's listening to this, whether it's, you know, next week or in a month's time, yeah. the details to get in touch mm-hmm. with you guys will be there and obviously all the posts so that, you know, that because I just feel like so many people need to know about what you're doing because they would, would absolutely want to help in whatever way they can. Do you know what I mean?
1: That's what's been amazing. The response has been amazing. And to bring what we're going back to what we're saying about, like, the people who say charity begins at home one of the most beautiful things about the food project at the moment and toiletries and entertainment there are no questions asked that is open to everybody yes we are an organization that specifically work with the displaced community but we are currently delivering food toiletry and entertainment packs to everybody across this city who needs it so if you've lost your job if your gran can't get out if you just need to top-up for the week, you're not going to be asked to explain yourself, text pack to the number that's on the website and we will deliver a food package to you within 48 hours usually. There is no shortage of people willing to share, so there is no limit to who we can provide that to at the moment and I think that's really helped to cement that relationship between old and new communities it's really made people we had a few people when we were in the buyer's road office that would stick their head in and go do you have to be a refugee to get a food pack and you could feel the like defensive and you're like no do you need one you can pick it up just now or we can deliver it to you if you leave your details and just people's faces you just get that like mm-hmm. uh, 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 oh all right thanks and you're like yes that the opportunity oh just no one gets everybody. left behind. Yeah, no one gets left behind. Nobody in this city should be hungry. There's plenty people who have to share, who who like who have things to share. It, again, we've just become a portal for people to be able to do that easily, and that's it's a lovely place to be. Uh,
0: you know, Selena, you're in an absolute just ray of sunshine, but and I, I know that you you are obviously the face and you're the person that's out there on the, the, the front line in, in terms of like doing podcasts and and you know you're you're the, the front face of Refugee but I know you've obviously alluded to your team who is on your, your immediate team and yeah. you know I feel like they they obviously need a shout out too because like you're saying you,
1: you are that production line. I have just finished saying that you know Refugee is basically made up by a team of directors that there is nobody in in the team who does one thing. So I will one day be doing social media stuff and then five minutes later be doing the accounts. And then the next thing I'll be doing some fundraising stuff and then I'll be running a new photography project. Everybody in the team is exactly the same. That's not just a meeting. So we have this amazing group of women um, who j- just blow my mind every day with what they can achieve. So Hannah is is sort of Hannah heads up all the donations and requests she makes sure that people get what they need when they need it and she gives stuff to the drivers labeled up and organized um Jen is Jen's sort of more in the background in terms of she works at the back end she does the website she's designed the most phenomenal database for us so that the text message comes in. We've got the information within 24 hours and the pack then goes out 24 hours later, if not sooner. So Jen does all of our digital com stuff. Paula runs projects and events in the team. So she's looking at the photography project. She's going to be doing a storytelling project soon, which I'm super excited about. love that. Yeah, I, I like parent and toddler engagement. Oh, just... So much brilliant stuff. Um, But everybody also plugs any gaps. If we've got a particularly pack heavy day, we're all out on the production line building food packs because... All hands on Of Yeah, knuckling in. Um, And then we've just recently added Nikki to our team, who is this phenomenal all-rounder, and she's just going to keep us all in check in terms of our new space because... You can tell that we've worked in total dumps before because we can't seem to look after our new lovely space. So (laughs) Nikki's job is making sure that we do that. Um, But she's just getting to grips with the project. And propping up each of those team members is a huge bank of volunteers and partner organisations and people out there who just get what we do, get how we do it, and are right there when we stick a message out last minute going, does anybody know anyone that's got a Zimmer frame? Or could anybody help get the Zimmer frame for me to be? Or could somebody find a charger for this very specific model of Samsung phone? There's just this, yeah, this vast, um, yeah, space filled with wonderful people who make what we do possible. So it's... Incredible. Incredible.
0: And I, I would hope that... We've learned so many lessons, hopefully throughout the course of this pandemic as it continues. But I would just like to think that more people have had time to pause in their busy, chaotic, self-centred lives, as we all can get, that moment to pause, to maybe look outwards and and realise that we are a community and we're off somewhere and we all matter. And if this is your home, then this is your home and you deserve to be welcomed and treated fairly
1: yeah, we have said that the one thing that 2020 has been good for, and there's not many bloody things, (laughs) but the one thing it has been good for is helping people recognise their own privilege and connecting people with the very, very immediate space that they exist within. And that's actually been amazing for us. And it's, Awful to talk about thriving through a pandemic, but we all know that it's far easier to empathize if we have direct experience of something. What we have all experienced as a result of coronavirus is some of our freedom being removed, even the simplicity of being told to wear a mask. A lot of us have turned around and gone, I don't want to do that, and then we've had a period to reflect and gone, Oh, this is what. People live through in far, far more extreme ways, under dictatorships, throughout war, when being forced to flee. It's it's the result of freedoms being removed. And now that we have, albeit a very, very light version of that experience, people are so much more engaged with how important our kindness is. And that's been beautiful to watch that the number of volunteers that we had when we started delivering packs like we were talking about this today we would step out of the old office and there'd just be a line of cars as far as the eye could see with people just waiting to take these packs it was just the most fabulous capture of I've been furloughed I don't know what to do with my time but holy crap there are some people who don't have food I'll go and help and people just mucked in and, and just got involved, and there's been no slowing to that. There's nothing better than helping folk. Exactly. It's so, and the story. I mean, from a purely selfish point of view,
0: you'll have a lovely time helping yeah, somebody out. nice. Yeah. Aye. You want yeah. an inner buzz? Help somebody else.
1: Yeah. The volunteers talk about sometimes when they take, they'll send us messages or voice notes after they've done a delivery, just to confirm that it's all gone and some of the stories they're just they will be messaging us to say thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to meet that family the children were crying um they were so pleased with the toys that we've just dropped off they were blowing me kisses from the window or whatever you've there's an opportunity to form a real connection with somebody that and it might be through a window or through a door but it's like nothing you've ever felt like uh, I don't do many deliveries because one, I don't drive, but two, I'm normally in the office um, doing more. But the, Hannah and I always try to end the year at Christmas time. We would try to end the year doing the last few deliveries, just making sure that people had what they needed over the holidays. And the two of us had finished up, sort of most of the time on Christmas Eve, I'm going to be honest, we normally try and say, the week before we'll finish up then, and on Christmas Eve we're always like, oh no, but somebody really needs that, let's just get it to them. Um, in the van on Christmas Eve, just filled with the most amazing feeling that no, we can't fix everything. And no, we will never be able to do everything that is on our to-do list. But holy crap, that one smile from that wee boy and the last delivery, it's worth the world. That's, means that's amazing. world
0: uh-huh.
1: It's amazing. I love
0: it. You speak so eloquently and so passionately, Selena. It just totally is oozing out. Yeah, I mean, I've just been, my face is sore for smiling at you the entire time. <laughs> if anybody can see me, I think it's wonderful. And like, you know, just... That seed of an idea that you had, like you're saying, you couldn't have imagined what it would have turned into. But it is just like a beautiful, beautiful thing that you've created. And well done. I mean, I'm sure people tell you that every day and you probably don't need me to you a pat in the back. But I just feel like in this moment, you know, it's important to say that I think it's incredible what you're doing. Congratulations on everything you've achieved so far.
1: Thank you. Thank you very much. I saw you won
0: an award recently. Can we not talk about the awards? <laughs> no, I didn't just say that you won an you won an award. And that's that's lovely.
1: Yes. I'm gonna drink my coffee out of my big shiny cup that I got given. <laughs> no, the team won the team won an award. Do you know that the, the amazing thing is it's all of these things are an opportunity for us to get the message out further, and that's just the most important part of this and and to hopefully inspire other communities to know that you don't need to have it all planned out and have it all thought out and written up and funded and all of this stuff. Run, run with this idea of passing kindness on from one person to another and that really race will never, ever end and it will come full circle right back to you as well. But yeah, the, that recognition of what we are doing is is absolutely lovely and and as I say I get to spend my day doing something that I love and I feel very very lucky to be able to see that
0: I bet I'm going to ask you a couple of the thing questions now I didn't tell you about this and I'm aware of time and you are a very important person who's very busy so I will keep it short but these are questions that I like to ask my guests at the end of the podcast just to get to know them better or to get that wee extra nugget of wisdom Selena what's the best sound ever
1: Silence. Surely. Silence. Oh, or the sea.
0: Like it. Silence or the sea. That's your Christmas wish list in it. It's like, I could, could have some silence, please. And a day by the sea. And a
1: day by the sea. Yep. Yeah. <laughs>
0: could anybody make that happen? That's for sure. <laughs> Where do you not mind waiting? Where do I not mind waiting?
1: I think I'm quite a patient person, and I'll talk to anybody. So I'm actually not. I'm. I, I don't mind waiting in most places. So I don't mind waiting for a bus. I don't mind. No, I'm a very happy. Those we mo- so the moments when I'm waiting are my opportunities to do admin. <laughs> Yes. Like whenever I'm waiting for something, I'm like, oh, I can just tweet that we need shampoo or, oh, I've got an email that I need to send a, a reply to. So I don't think I ever really mind waiting. The only thing I do mind waiting for is the toilet. <laughs> never, ever get in the way of me and a pee. <laughs> Fine.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <I love it. coughs> Right, I know this is going to be like super difficult, but in the lifetime of refugee so far, what has been the best day ever?
1: Sorry. <laughs> oh, oh, that's really hard. Um I think climbing Ben Nevis with 10 recently arrived people and five of our volunteers has to go down as the best day. It that's was so cool, that So much fun so much fun and just a real opportunity to bond and to yeah it was just the, it, it was brilliant and i hope that we can do some more of that next year yeah some more outdoor stuff but yeah if you gave me like literally 2 minutes and i would have a list of about sort of 50 things oh I'm like eh.
0: It was actually really bad to me to ask you that question. Too many best days, too many best days. And the question to ask everybody at the end of the podcast is: What is your favourite Scottish word or phrase? That's really hard as well. I've got loads. Well, I'm just thinking. Obviously, Refugee. I mean, Ouija is. I
1: mean, yeah. I. I. That's like voting for yourself. That's just a bit. <laughs> no, I think it's much more like. Mm, it's got to be something, like, it's got to be one of our insults. I think it's definitely an insult. So, because we've got, we all drink out of Lisa Donati, out of Guy at Laldi um, mugs as well. Yes. So, every, like, your sells Avon was a catchphrase that we, or your more wears high tech. I put, like, just, I love, I <laughs> love one of those. Hannah's mug that I give her every day, you're a ball bag, but you're my ball bag. <laughs> Maybe ball bag. Yeah,
0: it has came
1: up a few times. The first event that I ever did, we took a group of people to a gig. In fact, that could be my best day as well. Um, we took a group of people to a Colonel Mustard and the Dijon 5 gig. And beforehand, we went for like tea and soup and stuff at, on the corner that's now the space. And then um, it was the first time I'd met Yaman and Farid, these two Syrian guys. Yaman spoke pretty good English but it's broken English and they're both having a cup of tea one of them drinking out of a ball bag mug and one of them drinking out of a Fanny Boz mug and about sort of 10-15 minutes in Yaman pulls me aside and he's like Selena, what what is this word and I'm like it's two Muslim men who've just arrived in Scotland who don't speak much English. No, I don't know. I don't know what those words mean. I've never seen them before in my life. Mm -mm, No no idea. Moving on. Now, Raman thinks that that is absolutely... He's now on our board of trustees. um, Wow. He thinks that that is the funniest thing that one of the first questions he asked me was what a ball bag was.
0: (laughs) Oh, Selena, what a joy it has has been to, to meet you. Virtually, albeit... But, you know, your positivity and your energy just totally shines through. And, um, yeah, I'm in total awe of what you and your team and all your amazing volunteers are doing. And anything that I can do to support and promote and just big up what Refugee is all about, um, I, I will do it. Um, you know, and thank you for your time because I think on a podcast, it's that long-form opportunity to get to the heart of what yeah. Refugee is all about. And I do really appreciate your time because I know... How busy you are. And on that note, I'm going to let you go and
1: actually do an amazing job. I've got a group of students um, waiting on Zoom for me, so no worries at all. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed today's
0: episode of The Brawn the Brave, a podcast about people and their passions. Join us next time for more insight and inspiration from my wonderful guests. Bye for now.